It's a New Year's resolution show for the New York Giants. What resolutions do the Giants have to make? Stick around and I'll tell you next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked on Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trana, and it is Wednesday. It is hump day. The Giants are kicking off their preparation for the Chicago Bears, whom they will visit this weekend. But you know what? We're going to do something different on today's show. You know, the new year is just around the corner as I recorded, record this Um as you're viewing this show, actually, it is December 29th. That means New Year is just days away. So how about we talk about some New Year's resolutions for these Giants, things that maybe we would like to see in addition to obviously better football. Let's devote a show to that because Lord knows there's a lot that we can talk about. All right, so I'm going to give you some of my New Year's resolutions that I'd like to see the Giants achieve. And as always, if I miss any or if you can think of one that uh, you'd like to see them achieve, you can either drop me an email, LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com, or if you're watching on YouTube, drop a comment in the uh, boxes below. And speaking of which, thank you for making us your first listen or your first watch of the day. All right, so one of the first things I would like to see the Giants do for 2022 is come up with a reasonable identity. Now, I know when head coach Joe Judge was hired, he said, we're going to be a smart, tough, fundamentally sound team that's going to punch you in the mouth for 60 minutes. We have not seen that. And this goes back to a problem that I think the Giants have as an organization. They don't acknowledge or, or realize where they are at this point in their in their timeline. All right, so I go back to the old... Are they rebuilding or are they at the point where they're on their way to where they can hold up and potentially compete? Or are they a competitor that people need to watch out for? That has never been defined. And I think it's imperative that the Giants define it and they acknowledge it. I know it's hard to sit there and say, look, we're in a rebuild. No team wants to admit that. But you know what? The Giants are in a rebuild. And I think the sooner they admit that to themselves, to their fan base, the sooner we can get on with the rebuild process, getting the right guys in here, getting the right coaching staff in here, if need, coaching needs to be tweaked, getting the right general manager, the right scouts, whatever needs to be done. Acknowledge where you are at this point in your life cycle and embrace it, you know? it's There's no shame in admitting that you're rebuilding. Every team has had to do it at some point. So there's no shame in admitting that. And I think the fans, you know, I don't want to speak for y'all, for y'all but I think fa- the fan base might be a little bit more accepted, accepting of, you know, such an admission. So please, Giants, admit what you are and who you are and go from there. All right. Another resolution I would like to see the team from an organizational perspective is I'd like to see some kind of plan with the personnel. Now, there's two aspects of this that bother me. Number one, 
I've never really felt that the free agency plan kind of fits the draft. In other words, the, the draft should complement what they do in free agency. And I realize the draft is kind of a crapshoot, but you know what? So is free agency. There's no guarantees in either. So what ends up happening is, you know, sometimes you get two guys that are similar in skill set and you just kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like you're wasting a roster spot. And I know you're probably saying, okay, well, yeah, what happens if one gets gets injured? Well, what happens if one doesn't? Now you've got another guy languishing on the bench because he's almost identical in skill set to the guy that's playing, and it's a wasted roster spot. So I've always gotten the impression that that the personnel, that the, the draft doesn't really complement what they do in free agency versus what they have on the roster. And I'll give you a good example of what I'm talking about. If you go back a couple of years ago when they signed Golden Tate, a slot receiver who was very similar in skill set and ability to Sterling Shepard, who they already had on the roster. All right. What were they thinking? They had two guys who could basically do the same thing. Now, I know they tried to move Sterling Shepard to the outside, but that move proved to be just a disaster. That was, you know, a move that I think was made because they signed, um, Golden Tate to that contract and they felt that they had to justify it by playing him and now oh god what do we do with Sterling Shepard who we just signed to an extension there just there just wasn't a plan and I think we've seen that a few other times you know over the course of the last few years and I'd like to see the Giants especially whoever the new GM is assuming again that there is a new GM gotta say that folks I know a new GM is coming but I gotta say assuming because it's not set in stone but I'd like to see whoever is in charge, whoever is sitting in that GM chair next year, have a plan, build off of what you have, you know, identify your core and build off of it. Don't just throw pieces together because a guy is cheap or a guy is a good fit or, you know, any of that stuff. And speaking of which, from an organizational perspective, I'm all for bringing good people into the locker room. Okay, but they have to be good players. All right. I know, you know, the Giants are like, okay, we want good people. We want hardworking people, people that we're proud to put in the community to represent the organization. That's fine. I think every team would like that. But there's a difference between getting in good people who are yicky athletes and getting in good people who are decent athletes that can help your football club. Just my opinion here, but I think over the years, the Giants have had quite a number of good people in the locker room that weren't necessarily good football players. They might have been good athletes, but you know what? Just because you're a good athlete doesn't mean you're a good football player. Two different things. So I'd like to see the Giants again try to close that gap up when they go into the new year and they start, you know, restocking the roster. All right. One more thing from an organizational perspective. They got to do something about this injury situation. I mean, this is just, whew. Now, look, injuries are a part of the game. I get that. They happen to every team. I get that as well. But here's the thing, folks. Whether it's how they're training them, whether it's how they're practicing, you know, are they doing extra conditioning work? Are they doing, are they getting enough rest and recovery? 
I don't know what it is they're doing or what they're not doing, but I suspect some of these guys overtrain. And when you overtrain, you're going to eventually get hurt. You just can't avoid it. Now, I, I've told you I'm planning to do a show specific to injuries because I'm still doing research on that. But the Giants um, in 2020 were the eighth most injured team. Now, as of this recording, they're the second most injured team. All right. So you don't want to see the Giants in the top 10 at all in terms of injuries. And they've got to unlock what's happening there. You know, at the same time, you know, you want them to be in shape. You want them to be able to hold up through four quarters of a game. But my gosh, something's not right with, with, with the training. Something is just leading to this overexhaust Austin, um, these injuries. And it's not all the turf. It's not all, you know, the violence of the game. There's got to be something else to it. And I really hope, again, that the organization puts a microscope on that, a big magnifying glass, and figures out why and what can be done to solve the problem. All right, Giant fans, we have been talking so far about New Year's resolutions for the New York Giants. And speaking of New Year's resolution, if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but doesn't have the calories, the sugar, the carbs, all the bad stuff that no dieter wants to have in their bodies. Built Bar also tastes really good. It's covered in pure milk chocolate and it doesn't have that chalky, waxy or chemical-like taste that some other popular protein bars have. It's available in uh, nine different flavors with a rotation of different flavors available in both nut and nut-free variety. And most Built Bars are about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your New Year's resolution to eat right without the guilt and without the calories. So head on over to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your first order. Again, that's code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off your first order. All right, Giant fans, we are talking New Year's resolutions, things we want to see different on the New York Giants in 2022. And there's going to be changes. The question is, is what kind of changes, how many changes, and are we going to like the changes? Will it lead to more winning football? That's the big question. And uh, we're just going to follow along as those changes are made and hope for the best, because really, that's all we can do at this point. So anyway, let's get back to a list of resolutions, things that I'd like to see. Um, and this segment is specific to coaching. Um, one of the resolutions I want to see from the Giants coaching staff, I want to see more aggressiveness and a smoother operation on the sidelines. I mean, you know, if you're going to be a team or pass yourself as a team that's going to punch somebody in the mouth for 60 minutes to be passive, to not take chances, you know, when the chances are there, especially when you have nothing to lose, that goes against what you're tr allegedly trying to be. So I don't understand why the Giants have gotten suddenly cold feet when it when it's come to um, being aggressive? Is it just they didn't have faith in the players, that they don't have play, faith in the play call? I don't know what the case is, but 
it just seems like they're telling us one thing they want to be one thing and then by their actions they're another thing so again make up your mind what are you going to be you're going to punch people in the mouth or are you going to be passive and uh, I, I just don't get that at all but i hope that they resolve that as i also hope they resolve some of the operations on the sidelines specifically the timeouts getting the plays in and call, getting personnel lined up, the right people on the field, just all the little things that you, you know, would expect not to see in weeks, you know, 12, 13, 14 of the season, things you might see early in the season, but not later on in the season. That's been an ongoing issue. And that just needs to be cleaned up that operation, plain and simple. So here's hoping that, um, whatever changes Joe Judge makes to the staff, and by the way, Joe Judge does look like he's coming back, um, that they fix that. And I'm sure Joe will get that fixed because it's got to be bothering him too because they don't want to be drawing penalties or, or creating penalties at all. And um, some of these things just, you know, if you have to rush through a play because you don't have everything set up, nothing good comes of that. So, all right, another thing. Get a creative offensive coordinator in here, please, please. I mean, I don't know if the plan right now is for Freddie Kitchens to continue as the play caller. I hope that is not the case. And I have said it before on this show, what I would like to see is an offensive coordinator who maybe takes a little bit from Jason Garrett's system, a little bit from Pat Shermer's old system, and kind of splices it together. Because, you know, you look at Daniel Jones, who's going to be the glue, if you will, that's going to hold this offense together. Give him more of what he does well. And yes, he, he throws the ball down the field pretty well. But also, this goes back to what I'm saying about matching your personnel with what you want to do, right? And And this is why, you know, People say, well, blow the whole thing up and start all over again. It takes time to get the right pieces in place, the right talent to match what it is you want to do. And, you know, I think you look at like a Kadarius Tony. He's got speed, but I think, you know, I, I can't help but wonder how he would look if uh, you sent him on a crossing pattern, for example, or a slant and put the ball in his hands and let him take off down the field. You know, so, you know, things like that. Um what would it look like to have Saquon Barkley do more cutback runs against the grain and get to the outside where he seems to, to function better? Um, what would it look like to get Devonta Booker more involved, especially on those runs up the gut? Just little things like that I'd like to see maybe incorporated to where, you know, the offense doesn't look like it's, um, you know, one play at a time where it looks like uh, the offensive play caller is picking out plays from a hat as opposed to having a rhyme or reason as to how it all goes together. And uh, that that's that's something definitely want to see uh, different for next year. All right. The other thing, and this goes back to training camp. Got to prepare these guys better. I mean, look, I'm not saying that the practices were lame. I'm not saying that they weren't intense. But even the coaches will tell you, that it is, it's not possible to simulate the um, intensity of a game, the speed of a game, as it is in practice. You can only do so much, and especially when you consider there's no tackling, there's no hitting as a rule involved during practice. 
All right. So to not take advantage of the preseason games until the last preseason game and treat that as your dress rehearsal, that, that theory has got to go out the window. I'm sorry. That has to change. You practice in the preseason games a little at a time. I'm not saying play the entire group at once, but you know, I am, and I understand why Joe took this approach last year. There were some injuries and they were probably figuring, okay, why put the whole offense out there when we're only missing some of the guys that we're going to have later on? But I'm sorry, you know, the offense just never gelled. It took a while for the defense to get its act together. And I think if you change that up a little bit and do a little at a time with preparing your guys, things will look a lot better. So I would hope that that will change next year. And then another thing from the coaching perspective, I do understand why Joe Judge doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus. And I admire and respect him for that. But, you know, sometimes with the press conferences, would it hurt to show a little bit more emotion and just say, you know, this play, you know, our play today just wasn't acceptable. You know, saying it's one thing, but, you know, anybody could sit there. It, it's the conviction of the words. And, you know, maybe Joe is a little bit more fiery behind closed doors. As a matter of fact, I think people have said that he is. I think he has said that he is. But, you know, you're dealing with a customer, a fan base, who when the team loses, boy, that puts them in a bad mood. That hurts, especially for those fans who have, you know, been a witness to to bad football for the last decade or so. And with all due respect to Joe, I appreciate when he says, to, you know, hey, I don't want to talk about what happened before I got here. But yet, at this, you know, at the same time, it's okay to talk about the winning, the glory, you know, bringing in the legends from yesteryear, which were before he he got here. But you're not going to, you know, address the bad stuff. Now, you're probably saying, okay, well, what would addressing the bad stuff do? Well, learning from those mistakes, number one, um, and, and above all, acknowledging that the fans have suffered for almost a decade. All right. You can't just say, well, I don't care what happened, you know, three years ago because I wasn't here. The fans were. And those are the people that are suffering, the people that are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on PSLs, on tickets, concessions, the whole nine yards, and they deserve better. So I don't think it would hurt to maybe acknowledge that, um, that feeling from the fan. Because look, if you win together as a team, you lose together as a team. It should apply to the fans who are very much part of the team in, in a different way, mind you, but they are part of the family. And I just, you know, from my perspective, I just would like to see a little bit more um, embracing of the fans. You know, this is why, you know, I don't know. I just, to me, I just want to see a little bit more, you know, I'm not saying throw chairs. I'm not saying drop F-bombs, but just, I don't know. I, I just feel like sometimes Joe's on autopilot and I just would like I, I know there's more. I know he feels it. I know he feels for the fans. I know the players feel for the fans. Just, you know, something. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what's missing, but I just feel like there's something is. And I, I hope they, you know, kind of close that gap a little bit. So 
All right, folks. Um, originally, I had a third segment planned for you, but uh, as I was getting ready to record this, word came in about the passing of Hall of Fame head coach, former broadcaster John Madden. And um, I, I want to take a moment to talk about John Madden, if I may, because I grew up um, in the 70s. Uh, I was a little girl in the 70s, obviously, you know, was around for the 80s. I remember John Madden when he was uh, teamed up with Pat Summerall for the football broadcast. It was it was just a treat every Sunday to hear the two, to see them interact. And some of the funny things that Coach Madden used to say and interject throughout the broadcast, just, you know, um, I'm trying to find this clip on YouTube, but there was one giant game he called. And I just remember um, he was referring to, I guess, one of the giant, I think it was a giant defensive lineman. And he was he was describing him so vividly to right down to the fact that the lineman needed to wipe his nose. <laughs> and I remember that. Oh, my gosh, I remember that. I remember the bams and the booms and all that stuff. But, you know. As a uh, a young reporter, I, I, I've been in the business now for about 30 years. And as a young reporter, many, many years ago, it was at a Super Bowl. And what they used to do back in the day is they would have press conferences with the, the broadcast crew that was calling the Super Bowl, you know, the halftime entertainment, the pregame entertainment, the national anthem singer, all those, those you know, ancillary pieces of the big game. And I remember meeting John Madden briefly um, for a Super Bowl that I was covering. And, you know, I'm not one who, you know, when I meet quote unquote greatness, I'm not one to go, you know, to freeze up and, and have stars in my eyes and, you know, stiffen up, you know, because I, I try to remember that these people are people like me. You know, they have emotions like I do. They They have thoughts like I do. They have to work like I do for a living and so on and so forth. But when I met Coach Madden, at the time I was fairly new to the business, and um, my gosh, you talk about a brush with greatness. That was just, you know, that was like a, hitting the lottery for me. It was a brief encounter. It was um, just, I happened to run into him. He was with, obviously, a lot of people, um, busy man, and he stopped to say hello he stopped to ask me how I was doing, um, small chit chat, you know, no, nothing, you know, earth shattering or no big scoop or anything like that. But the fact that the man took a few minutes to say hello to someone who at the time, I think, you know, I, again, I wasn't as sure of myself. I, I was just kind of not knowing where to go, what to do, what press conferences should I be in and what, so on and so forth. But that encounter however brief it was I'll always remember that because he was so gracious he was so kind um so cheery you know he, he didn't have an attitude just a wonderful warm human being and I think that came across in his broadcasting I think um, his former players will say that it came across in his coaching even though you know football coaches tend to be a little hard-nosed at times and just I can't say enough good things about him off of that one encounter. And I just feel, you know, the NFL has lost a giant of a legend. I mean, just a tremendous human being. Um, 
he and Pat have been reunited up in heaven, uh, where I'm sure they're calling one heck of a game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, it's a very solemn and, and sad day for, for the NFL because John Madden, like I said, a legend. I mean, e even the video game. I, I'm not a big video game fan, but Madden is actually a game I've played and I've enjoyed over the years. And um, I, I, I'm at, kind of at a loss for words here a little bit because I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm probably a little emotional, even though you know John Madden wasn't tip, you know, technically a member of the Giants family. He was, but he wasn't. You know, you're part of the NFL family. You're part of the Giants family. But um, I just want to say to uh, the Raider fans who, for, of whom John Madden was a part of, you know, my condolences to you. Um, to those who know and love John Madden, um, thinking of you and uh, to the coach himself. I know, you know, maybe he can't hear me, maybe he can, but thank you, coach, for all the wonderful memories. Thank you for being so gracious and so kind to you know, a, a young reporter who didn't have a damn clue what she was doing at a Super Bowl, but who was there trying to make good of, you know, make good of the opportunity. And um, thank you most of all for the memories and for setting the bar as only you could. And, um, you know, just everything. So, all right, Giant fans, thank you so much for letting me get those words in um, on the show. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears will be with me and we will be doing the crossover show. Um, and then on Friday, we'll have another show before we wrap it up and send you into the new year, which hopefully will be better for everybody when it comes to Giants football, fingers crossed. So again, thank you for making us your first listen or your first watch of the day. And we will catch you again tomorrow.